Thank you for that. Appreciate it. So good to be with Taylor Street this morning. And uh, two words, the most important of all this morning, is thank you. Thank you, Taylor Street, for uh, a long history and tradition and partnership in ministry to children and families. We look forward to getting together with you uh, Open house November 16 and 17 at, and at uh, Christmas. And then again, perhaps at spring break. Maybe we've got some things cooking. Really, anytime you can get free, you're welcome to come visit us. And we'd be glad to have you. We're only days away from opening a new, a new cottage, a beautiful new facility at our campus. And it has generated a lot of excitement at our place. And uh, we, uh, we just say thank you because it is paid for. And that's a real blessing. Uh, this church has been a pillar of support for so many years. It's because of you that we're saving lives uh, as babies are placed in adoptive homes. Uh, we are transforming children in residential homes, and we're holding families together in single-parent homes for children. And uh, our mission at New Mexico Christian Children's Home is to transform children into Christian champions, responsible and respected citizens. I've been asked to give a sermon this morning. So my lesson will not be so much about our ministry, but about the Lord's heart for what you and I do together in our partnership. But you will hear biblical themes in our lesson today for adoption, residential care, and single parent homes. And you'll hear a theme about championing our children for Christ. And, of course, Eric Dickey and Tom Moore will have more uh, to share specifically about our ministries during class time. And uh, I'm very proud to have the best PowerPoint, PowerPoint presentation I could possibly bring this morning, uh, today. And our, uh, we have our cottage here. And I'd like for all of you to stand up. Gary and Diane Cox do the work that Tom Moore and I can only talk about, but they do the real work, and I'm just proud as I can be of this bunch. At the end of this sermon, you're invited to respond to the Lord's invitation. I won't give a traditional invitation at the end. I'm going to give it now, and if you have any need for baptism or prayer or whatever your need might be, this church would love to uh, know how they can assist you and you feel free to respond. The title of our lesson this morning is The Song of an Orphan. A little orphan boy cried alone in his room, even though he never knew his mother, he missed her deeply. She died giving birth to him, sacrificing her life for his. 
That was the best news of his life, and it was all he knew about her. So he missed her love. He was living in his second foster home. He didn't know what happened to his first foster mother, too young to know. He thought perhaps she abandoned him. So he was bitter towards her. By all appearances, his second foster home was worse than the first. He was taken to a small village out in the middle of nowhere, a dry, dusty, deserted desert of a place. As far as the eye could see, down in a dark valley, everything was rocks and sand. The people of the village were all too familiar with dirt storms. There was no vegetation, nothing green. The little bilingual town was so small, you wonder how it could qualify for having a post office. For those who lived there, including the boy... It was really more of a hiding place than a town. The town was named Lodibar, which means no pasture, no green grass. The boy didn't see how this second foster home would be better than the first, but he had no choice. He had to give it a chance. He felt like he was nothing but a government paycheck to his first foster mom, He would never recover from her care, never. Because of her, he lost the ability to trust people, adults, those in power over his life. But he was told it wasn't all her fault. In fact, it really wasn't her fault at all that his life had taken its worst turn. It wasn't her fault his father was killed serving in military action. His father was a great man. A war hero, strong and courageous. Stories of his adventures were legendary. Yet he remembered his father as the most loving and gentle man in the world. His daddy. His life changed dramatically that day when he was five years old. The news stormed into the quarters with screams and shrieks that his father had been killed. The enemy was upon them. The escape plan was simply every man for himself. In the chaotic evacuation, his nurse jerked him up by one arm and took off running. That hurt so bad, but not as much as when she stumbled, dropped him, and fell on top of him. The pain was excruciating, but strangely enough, he could feel nothing in his feet. Nothing. In her panic, she fussed at him to stop crying and get up and run. He couldn't. She badgered him frantically just to get up and walk. She didn't know how much he was hurt. He couldn't move his feet. A servant running by heard the crying and stopped just long enough to pick him up and set him on a cart. He needed immediate medical attention, but... All he got was a long, bumpy ride. He never saw a doctor. Crying did no good, but he cried until he was exhausted and could cry no more. He was paralyzed at the ankles. A five-year-old shouldn't 
be a casualty of adult wars. But in the land of Israel, children are usually the first to suffer as wounded in action. He didn't know which was worse, losing his dad or losing his feet and becoming crippled for life. Both felt equally bad. The orphan boy lost more than his father and feet that day. His two uncles and granddad were lost as well, all in the same battle. All four of them were on the side of good, but the bad guys won the fight. He wanted to believe what his dad had taught him, but it didn't make sense. He wanted to believe that God would always care for him, that the Lord's very name was victory, and victory was given, given to the Lord's champion. It sure didn't look like it. He remembered the best feeling of his life when his dad told him he was his champion, his only champion. Being a champion was scary now. His dad had given him a warrior's name, the name Meribel. The name meant anti-Bel, against Bel. Bel was one of the world's great religions. Millions of people called Bel a powerful God. They called him, among many things, the Lord of the land. But his dad had told him, Bell was nothing but a stone-cold, powerless idol. His dad proudly said, Merib Bell, you will be a champion against Bell." Now, before he was old enough to understand, his dad was dead, killed by the people of Baal. His dad was none other than Jonathan, the prince, the oldest son of the king, next in line to be king. Meribel had dreamed with his dad that someday he too would be a prince, the son of the king. But those dreams were dashed in a day. He could never fulfill the destiny his father had barely inspired him to dream. It was a strange, scary name for a crippled kid destined to live the rest of his life paralyzed in his feet. With a name like that, a name looking to pick a fight. It's no wonder his first foster mom, his nurse, took him into hiding. At least she did that right. And then even stranger and scarier, the only other man of his family who was not killed was his uncle, Uncle Eshbel. His uncle refused to fight in the war against the Philistines. Eshbel means son of Baal. That's plain evidence this was a divided family with mixed up priorities. Two members of the same family, one named Anti-Baal and the other son of Baal. Sounds like Granddad Saul was trying to cover all the bases with all the gods. Meribel and Eshbel were the only two survivors of the royal family. The Philistine Baal worshippers had defeated Meribel's father, 
Prince Jonathan and the children of Israel. In the eyes of a five-year-old cripple, there was no way to live up to his name. Perhaps that's why in hiding, he chose to change his name to Mephibosheth. Crossing the Jordan River felt safe. It put some healthy distance between the fugitives and the Philistines. They would not chase very far into a desert of no green grass. Maribel grew up for the next 20 years, hiding quietly as possible, eking out a living. He grew up to be anything but a warrior, certainly not a champion. He grew up to be handicapped, a victim. At least the poor foster family took care of him enough, and he found some short-lived happiness as an adult. A young lady agreed to give him her hand in marriage. She even bore him a son of his own. But don't think for a second that he was living happily ever after. For Maribel, the situation was worse than all that. He and his family could never go back to greener pastures. He had more enemies than just the Philistines. David was king now in Judah. He was the enemy of Maribel's grandfather, King Saul. When new kings came into power, it was common practice to exterminate every royal family member they could find. Maribel grew up believing his own people, the people of Israel, were seeking to destroy him too. That meant he could only grow up in relative obscurity and extreme poverty. He would spend his whole life hiding in shame of Baal and fear of David. With Prince Jonathan gone, the heir apparent to Grandpa Saul's throne would have been his uncle Eshbel. Imagine that, the children of the living God governed by a son of Baal as king. Can you understand the tears? Why a grown orphan man, 20 years later, would still cry alone in his room? He hoped no one would see him. Oh, his tears weren't so much for himself. After all, a paralyzed man can't expect much in life. And he had reasons to be thankful. His wife fed him every day, and his young son was growing up healthy with two good feet. Most crippled men didn't even have a wife, much less a son. But he cried nonetheless. He could never be a complete man to his wife. He could never be a strong champion to his son. He could never provide well for his family, at least not the way he wanted. What could he give them? He had nothing. What could he teach his own son of life, of God, of Baal? He didn't know himself what he believed. The evidence was contrary to his father's teaching. 
What good was his life? What good would it do to believe for God and against Baal? He finally remembered Prince Jonathan. He loved his father, even if Jonathan was misguided. Jonathan at least lived with great confidence. He had great joy and happiness, high energy for living, and deep love for people. His father could inspire with bedtime stories of victories that God provided. But now, as much as he loved his dad, lame Maribel believed those teachings to be false. Those teachings might have been right for his dad, but they weren't for him. How could he believe when nothing awaited his family but poverty and famine? When he looked at his wife and son, his heart ached. His wife chose to be married to Maribel, but he felt sorry for her. But amazingly enough, that was her own grown decision. It was different for his son, Micah. He did not choose to be born so poor. His son had no choice in the matter. His son would never have a future as long as Maribel was his dad. That's why he gave his son a much more humble name than his own. He gave his son a name that would never cause him trouble, like Maribel. He named him Micah, which means poor little boy. And then the knock on the drafty old door came that confirmed his greatest fear. It was the day he hoped would never come. King David had finally found out where he lived. Someone ratted him out. Maribel was ordered to be escorted under guard to the palace in Jerusalem. Maribel had heard recently that his uncle Eshbel had been killed in war against David. In finding Maribel, David had now tracked down the last of King Saul's royal family. Maribel was the last one. He would die, never living up to his name. A criminal, exterminated like the rest of his family, the last of his family line. Well, almost. He could only hope that Micah would be spared. He could only pray they would never discover his only son. We find this part of the Bible story in 2 Samuel 9 7. When Maribel arrived in the palace, he bowed low to honor the king. David could tell he was extremely fearful. The next words were a shocking surprise. David said, Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at the king's royal palace. Maribel could hardly believe his ears. Still bowing low, he dared not even lift his head. He said, what is your servant 
that you should even notice a dead dog like me. That's about as low an opinion as one can have of himself, asking not who is your servant, but what is your servant, and then calling himself a dead dog. In a magnanimous public display of royal pageantry, King David answered the question. He gave Meribel a large amount of farmland and appointed 36 servants to work it. The servants were to care for his wife and son Micah as well. The blessings were unbelievably abundant. The crippled Mephibosheth was now like an adopted son to David. He ate every day at the king's table because David loved Prince Jonathan. And King Saul's son loved David. The Bible says their love for each other surpassed that of love between a man and a woman. The spiritual dimension of God's love between these two was more powerful than sexual love. Maribel's wife was provided with more than she had ever dreamed. And Micah, the poor little boy, now had his father's servants at his call. A snap of the fingers, a clap of the hands, and he could ask for anything. Now he was proud to be, to have the name his father gave him. That victory the fa- that his father promised him had been given. They could now all proudly stand tall and wear the same last name against Baal. No longer would a physically crippled father wear a name hiding his royalty, hiding his victory against Baal. No longer would a spiritually crippled man be ashamed. But wasn't Mephibosheth the same crippled man as Meribel? No, he was changed. A total transformation took place inside Maribel, down deep in his soul, where he hurt the most. His attitude and perspective totally changed toward the positive. Maribel could now live the rest of his life against Baal with the same sure confidence of his father. He could see clearly that the worship of Baal, the worship of any idol, was utterly useless. He received the real victory that was given him. But he knew he did nothing to earn it. None of these blessings were a result of his efforts. He was still a cripple, but living like a champion. Mirabel was a new man, a complete man. For the first time since he was five years old, his life made sense. Now he knew how to teach his own son with confidence. The son of Baal was no more. King David defeated the Philistines and the people of Baal. Prince Jonathan's death was avenged. Mirabel now lived in the house of the king who conquered the people of Baal. The name Meribel was a perfect fit in the palace. He belonged as much as anyone, as much as any son or child of the king. What a total change his life took 
when he moved in to live in the house of the king from poverty to abundance, from an outcast to a child of the king. He pondered over his father's great love for King David. Could it be that Merib Bell actually was named not after his father, but after his father's best friend, after the king who conquered the people of Baal, and now to be treated as his adopted son? After many years of service, Merit Bell's 36 servants wanted their own farmland and their own life. King David was inclined to give it, to split the land between them and Merit Bell. But Merit Bell gave this astounding answer and amazing advice to David. Give all the land to my servants, he said. They can have it all, good king. I don't really want the land. All I really want is you. I want the Lord of the land. Just let me live in your good grace for the rest of my days. Mary Bell was saying, you, King David, are all I need. If I have the king and his favor, I have everything I need. The words inspired the king. They touched the king's heart. He went to his songbook and wrote a new song. He had written hundreds of songs, but this song was special. It was a song of songs. It would become the greatest, most popular song the king had ever penned. The song told not only the king's own story, but also the story of Mephibosheth, It also tells your story and mine. It was a song of an orphan. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all that I want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the darkest valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of those who were once my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness. And love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The story of Meribel is a transformational story. How every one of us are champions of God's grace. Each of us is born To be in the royal family of God. God's great plan for each of us is to live as the king's kids. His plan is to prosper us and to have us eat at his table. But early in life we suffer the consequences of sin and a fallen world. Every one of us is influenced by outside factors 
powerful negatives beyond our control. It's not really all our fault. We don't know why we were born into a far from perfect family in a far from perfect land. As a result, we are crippled, lame, handicapped early in life. We blame God. We blame others. We may even believe for a time that false gods are greater in power than the true and living God. For a time, we don't know what to believe. Then we hear false teaching that God is looking for us because He's out to get us. He wants to string us up and hang us. We go into hiding. We don't want any relationship with God. Our lives lack abundance and blessing. Fear takes away our joy and confidence. Our souls suffer deep poverty. We just hope life doesn't get worse. But God made a promise to a prince. A promise to Prince Jesus that if he would go after you and me to find us in our hiding place, to find us in our despair, that we could come to live with him. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. God sent his son to find us. We think we're hidden. We hope he can't find us. But we can't escape his relentless pursuit and love. He finds us and through Jesus we are brought into a right relationship with the king. We accept the royal invitation to live in the palace. It's another chance to live again as a child of, a, of the king. Even with our sin handicap, the favor of God is always there. No matter how bad it seems, accepting the promise of God changes everything. We receive every blessing of salvation, every blessing of this life and the life to come. We become champions of victorious living. Our Heavenly Father adopts us into His family, but not because of anything we've done. We only believed and accepted the invitation. In fact, it might be better if we were crippled so that we would never think we did anything to earn our free gift of salvation. It is by grace we become champions so we can never brag or boast. When we stand before our God in the judgment, we are all orphans. We can't hold our earthly parents' hand. We stand alone before God. We stand as an orphan before our perfect Heavenly Father, just hoping to be adopted. He's not an earthly father who fails. He's a kind and loving Father who wants to sit with us at the table. We accept His daily invitation. We regularly eat with the King. Let the whole land of Israel taste and see that the Lord is good. And all who sing His song from the heart 
will live with him forever. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all that I want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the darkest valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of those who were once my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's your song. It's my song. It's the song of an orphan.